It's spring 1988. Guy's debut album is about to drop. And Guy's manager, Gene Griffin, is not happy. See, the album's about to be big. Gene knows it. And so does everyone else. And now he wants to make a few things clear. Gene pushes his way through the brass revolving doors of MCA Records headquarters in Midtown Manhattan, jabs the button in the elevator to take him up to the executive offices. He wants to talk to a guy named Gerald Busby. We get a call by Gerald Busby. He's like, yo, Gene is up at MCA. That's Jimmy Jenkins. He's a VP at Uptown Records, the smaller label that's putting out the guy record. Technically, Gene should be talking to them. Instead, he's gone straight to MCA, which distributes Uptown's albums. In other words, Gene skipped over the folks at Uptown and gone straight to the top. Now, Gerald at MCA's telling Jimmy at Uptown, You should go up there and talk to him. He's very upset or whatever. Jimmy immediately calls his boss, Andre Harrell, to figure out what to do. And the first thing I was like, fuck that old give a fuck about no Gene Griffin. Fuck him. But Andre's like, no, 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 no. I should talk to him. I was like, I don't know if you should go up there and speak to that motherfucker. He always got a bunch of goons around him. There's no stopping him, though. So he and Jimmy head up to the MCA offices. When they get there, Andre asks to speak to Gene alone. Jimmy waits in the office next door. I'm in another room. They're offering me popcorn and all kinds of shit. You know what I mean? And then I get suspicious. And that's when someone nonchalantly turns up the volume. So now they're starting to turn the music up in the room that I'm in. And Andre's in the room with Gene. And I'm like, this is fishy. Something's going on. After a while, Andre walks out of the office and motions to Jimmy to follow him out. So when I go out with Andre, he's like, I said, what's up? He's, no, everything is good. Jimmy can't read his boss's expression. So we get in the elevator. We get in the elevator to go down. And then he just fell into my arms. and was like, yo, Gene smacked the shit out of me. Why was Gene getting violent with Andre Harrell? Because Teddy's been producing hit records nonstop for a bunch of Uptown's artists. I'll be sure, Heavy D. And Gene feels like Teddy's not getting his rightful share of any of it. Gene is like, yo, I want you to give Teddy back shit from Heavy D from the beginning. I want you to give him all his publishing back from I'll Be Sure. And I want all the Guy album, and I want them to be off the Uptown imprint on MCA. Gene's beatdown of Andre pretty quickly becomes the worst kept secret in New York. Everyone in the scene hears some version of it. It may be a gangster move, but damn it if it doesn't work. You can consider him Suge before there was a Suge night. That's Jeff Red. He was signed with Uptown Records back then. And around Uptown, everyone got the message. You don't mess with Gene. And people were scared of him, basically. Because they know you can beat you up or whatever. You know, he was that guy. So Teddy was well protected by Gene and whatever Teddy wanted, most of the time Teddy got it. And when the guy album drops and starts climbing the charts, Teddy gets a lot. Teddy had production deals at almost every single label in the industry, which was unheard of. He had production deals at Sony, he had production deals at MCA, Warner Brothers, he had production deals everywhere. And Gene was the guy that, you know, made it possible for him to have all that stuff. 
As this story passes from person to person, it's now clear to everyone in the industry, if you want to work with Teddy Riley, you need to talk to Gene Griffin first. Because Teddy and Guy are the hottest thing in R&B. All of the music is hidden, which means everyone's fighting for a piece. Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. From Wondery and Universal Music Group, I'm Taraji P. Henson, and this is Jack. Can you jack swing? Yes, it's something funky that you can cling. All you gotta do is come on and sing. One, two, three. I made the new jack swing. And this is episode four. Gene's prerogative. While Gene is tightening his grip on Guy, the newest member of Guy is trying to prove his place in the group. Damien Hall looks out the window of a limousine as city streets roll past. He's with his brother Aaron and Teddy on the way to a Guy album signing at a Tower Records store. Remember those? But Damien's not excited. In fact, he's feeling a little out of sorts. The train was moving. By the time I came into the group, I signed a contract. Two weeks later, the record was mixed and a single was about to drop very shortly after. And then at their big show at the Apollo Theater. I'm, I'm playing the drums, doing Apollo and, and Palladium and d- different shows. And I'm in the back. I got the same outfit on and everybody's thinking I'm part of the band. I said, I'm not no part of no band. He means people think he's part of the backing band, not a member of the group. You know, I was still, it was Teddy Riley, Aaron Hall, and the third guy, you know? It was like, okay. (laughs) We don't know who he is. I think he's Aaron's brother. And to make matters worse, now that the album's coming out, guess whose face is on the cover next to Teddy and Aaron? Timmy Gatling's still on the damn cover, not him. It confused the world up and down. Like, who is this? Where people started confusing me with Aaron and... I was Aaron, and I was Timmy. Damien wants to be recognized as Damien. And this day, at this record store signing, he decides to make his point. The limo pulls up in front of Tower Records, 
immediately is swarmed with guy fans. And we came out the limo, went into the store, everybody was screaming, ah! And I walked in and I saw the first album cover plastered all over the walls, all over the desk. And I said, hell no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not signing nothing. I'm not taking a photo. I don't want to talk to no fans, nothing. You got to take all this shit down and put the new photos up. He goes back to the limo and waits for an hour, hour and a half. People still stayed. They changed all the pictures inside and I went inside and I was, I was happy, go lucky. Because that's when the, I started realizing that if I don't take control over my own self, to get respect, not just being a third member or Aaron's brother, then I will always be the third member or Aaron's brother. Behind the scenes, the trio's getting close. We just did everything together. We just, we drove our cars, our trucks during that time was four runners. We all each had different color. I had a blue one, Aaron had a red one, Teddy had a black one. Then I changed mine to pearl white. I wanted all my cars to be pearl white. And we would go up to Harlem. To the car wash on 127th Street. Just a few years ago, Teddy was the shorty getting paid by the players to keep an eye on their cars here. Now, he and his bandmates are the players. Park our cars and thousands of people will be out chilling and we get our cars washed and we just be signing autographs and just, just chilling on the block. You know, we was always with each other, and we love bowling. Yeah, no, we bowl. Yeah, we, we, we don't play around. It ain't like, oh, let's go bowling and have fun with the family. No, we going to bowling to kick your ass. That's what we going bowling for. Tonight at Harlem's Lennox Lane, Damien sits back and checks out his bandmates. No question they're looking fly. Even for a night at the lanes, they've all dressed up right. You know, we all got the rings, and then we all got the the fur coats and the fox coats and the, and the Black Panther coats. We, we was going hard. We were we were fashion, swag, image, style. They take a lot of their style cues from Gene because their manager is the flyest of them all. I've never seen a man have clear fingernail polish on his fingernails before, or crocodile snake shoes and the shoes were dyed the same color as your pants and that pants was exactly the same color as your silk shirt and I, I was just like yo this guy is the greatest and he saw that that caught my eye damien's still looking for ways to stand out in the group maybe his way is with his style I began coming up with different ideas of what I thought we should wear. I think we should do these jumpers that like it's like this, and we should do these vests. I'm gonna do the vest. I do the vest, and I'll do the three-quarter length for Teddy, and I'll do I'm gonna do the long. Teddy will do the motorcycle, and Aaron do the three-quarter. Damien shares all of these ideas with Gene, and Gene listens. Gene lets him design the clothes, the dance moves, the stage show. And it's the way that we work. Teddy was the music. Aaron was the vocal. On record, I did the background vocals. But on stage, I took everything we did and I said, okay, the dance will come out like this. Then you're going to go over here and Teddy, you're going to do this. And I'm going to come out like this. And then we're going to come together. And then the light's going to do it. I did all of that. And I was really, though I was quote unquote quiet, I was mastering the stage, understanding the stage. Slowly but surely, Damien feels like he's earning Gene's respect. Other people might be intimidated by the bald bandit, but not Damien. He'd be like, Damien, don't shut up. <laughs> and I'd be like, no, nah, I ain't shutting up. This is, don't make no sense. Two and two is not five. Two and two equal four. 
other people didn't talk back to Gene. Me and Gene, God bless his soul, we had a, a different relationship because I stood up to him. I'm a martial artist. He's a martial artist. And I'm not saying I could beat Gene in any capacity. Gene threw me across the room one time so easily. And I was like, wow, okay, that's cool. But then he saw me do something. He was like, oh, okay, I like him because he don't take no junk. Damien's out from behind the drum kit and his moves on stage earn him a new nickname. Crazy legs. Not too long ago, a gentleman by the name of Teddy Riley masterminded a concept called Guy. To experience Guy at their peak, you gotta watch their appearance on the Arsenio Hall Show. Their debut album sold a million copies, and they're here to perform a tune called Groove Me. Please welcome Guy. Teddy, Aaron, and Damien wear matching red sparkling jumpsuits with a gold fringe that comes down to a V at their belly buttons. They each have one hand thrown in the air as the stage lights slowly come up. Then they break into a smooth, synchronized dance, sliding, a little running man-style move. Then Aaron starts belting out the vocals. They perform I Like, then Groove Me. At the end, the crowd's on their feet, cheering, but they keep it going with Arsenio. The party ain't over. We want you to get busy with us. What? We want you to get busy. Come on, Arsenio. No. ain't over, man. We gonna get busy. Kick it off one time. Getting a spandex and a windbreaker wearing Arsenio to dance his ass off as they play into the commercial break. When they come back, Teddy, Aaron, and Damien move to the couch to talk with Arsenio. I'm Aaron Hall, Mr. Voice. <laughs> Teddy Rally. <laughs> and I'm Damien Hall, crazy lady. Without Timmy Gatling there, They've got a new version about how the group formed. How did you all come together? Church. <laughs> really? Yeah. Performing in church? Um, actually bumping into each other, different ceremonies, you know, like anniversaries and when it's time to eat food at church. <laughs> yeah. The audience is eating it up. How old are you? I'm 21. <laughs> These women would scream for anything. But say, just say, say toenail. Toenail. <laughs> then towards the end of the interview, Teddy gives a shout out to the fourth member of Guy. Uh, no, not Timmy Gatling. Now the three of you all produced together? We do now. Yeah. We, we've been uh, working with, along with my father, yeah. Gene Griffin. Yeah. And I'd like to mention all the names, but we gotta go. Good night, this is Guy. <laughs> Damien's style and moves, Teddy's music, Aaron's voice, Teddy's allegiance to his, quote, father, Gene. It's all on display for a screaming studio audience and the fans watching at home. So guys, a hit. Their album spends almost a year on the Billboard's R&B charts, five weeks at number one. And that spring, the album goes platinum. But the first New Jack Swing track to become the number one song in the country? And if My Prerogative by Bobby Brown sounds like a guy song, that's because originally it was supposed to be. 
Teddy Riley says it was him and Aaron who wrote it. I was me, Aaron. Aaron wrote my prerogatives. Timmy Gatling says he also worked on the song. But whoever you believe, when my prerogative comes out, there are just two names in the credits. Bobby Brown, obviously. But the second name isn't Timmy Gatling or Aaron Hall or even Teddy Riley. It's Gene Griffin. Well, I know that he helped him write my prerogative. He helped him co-write a lot of stuff. T.C. Tompkins worked at GR Productions under Gene. Gene was a good writer in his own sense. You know, he came up with good hooks and good lyrics on certain things. And I can hear that my prerogative with Gene Griffin. That is him. (laughs) Not if you ask Teddy Riley. He says it was him and Aaron, but... Aaron did something wrong, and Gene shysted him out of his publishing. And that's it. That's my story. I can't tell you anymore. (laughs) If that's the case. Poor Aaron! Because my prerogative is the song of 1989. You can hear it on the radio, at house parties, in the clubs. It may have Gene Griffin's name in the credits, but it has Teddy Riley's fingerprints all over it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. In 1988, Marsha McClurkin's a little nervous as she walks into Hillside Studios in New Jersey. This is the recording studio that's owned by Tony Bennett's son. You go down to the basement to get to the booth and the control room. And today, it's crowded down there. It was very intimidating. It was, um, it must have been about eight or nine girls that were there. Teddy and Jean's company, GR Productions, is looking for an all-female vocal group. Kind of an all-girl version of Guy. Teddy first invited Marsha to audition when they bumped into each other at a club. Now, Teddy takes her into the control room. And there's Jean. He introduced him as his godfather. He says, I want you to meet my godfather and my manager. Through his dark glasses, Gene Griffin sizes her up. And so he's sitting, he kind of had his hands clapped together, and Teddy was like, hey, yeah, this is Marsha, and she's going to audition from the group. And he looks at me square in the eyes, and he goes, well, you're cute, but 
Let's see if you can sing. So, Marsha sings. <clears throat> I want to thank you, Heavenly Father, for shining your light on me. You send me someone who really loves me. And not just my body. And she becomes the first member of the group. It's called abstract. Like abstract without the T. Marsha signs a record contract with GR Productions. The intimidating man in the dark glasses is now her boss. He was our manager. Anyone who came through GR Productions, Gene was their manager and producer. And Godfather. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) After that, Marsha sees more and more of Teddy. After the audition, I think we went out and we ate and we just started talking. And that's how we reconnected. Our relationship was, uh, it was a love affair. It was was an affair that couldn't be broken by anyone, even though, you know, she was kind of seeing someone and, I was kind of seeing someone. I think around that time I had met a lot of creeps in New York. (laughs) A lot of not not so nice guys. So it was really refreshing to finally meet a nice guy again, you know. It became a situation where we became best friends and confidants, confidants. On one of their first dates, they go to see Spike Lee's movie, School Days, together. I'm sorry, I was wrong. I apologize. You forgive me? I forgive you. Thank you. But you have to stop being so judgmental. What? There was a scene that I shouldn't have even had to cry in. I think it was a love scene, and I started crying, and he looked, and he was going, are you crying? He was like, I'm are you serious? Are you crying? And I was like, oh, shut up. Like, we were in a movie, like, arguing back and forth. And then he was like, what are you crying about? I was like, you know, it's just, you know, I like, you know, seeing people in love and stuff like that. So he thought it was real funny. (laughs) As they're spending more time together, Marsha notices something about Teddy. Teddy is one of the most in-demand producers in the business. And yet, this guy never has any cash. I know he always had issues like, uh, like paying for stuff or whatever. Gene had Teddy on allowance. T.C. Tompkins is a music industry veteran. Before GR, he worked at Epic Records, so he knows how the business is supposed to work. But at GR, he sees things don't necessarily work like they're supposed to. Basically, GR or Gene would own everything. They would give it to Teddy, but it was actually the company's. And uh, I had told Gene that that shit was going to get thin. You know, I told him, I had warned him sooner or later that, hey, man, you got to involve Teddy. You got to bring him in and talk numbers to him and let him know what he's doing. But Gene controlled everything. And according to Marsha, Teddy has no idea. I don't know. There were a whole bunch of things that I kind of saw that he didn't see. Like he you know, didn't have everything that he thought he had or he owned or that was his was not his. It wasn't in his name. Marsha doesn't know all the ins and outs of his arrangement with GR Productions, but she sees enough to be worried. So I asked, did he have his own credit card or corporate card, which he didn't have? So I 
you know, I offered to have him as an additional card holder on my account. It's the first credit card Teddy's ever owned. When she gave me the card, it was a Platinum American Express. I was making jokes of a silver card, not knowing the worth or the magnitude. And I was like, yo, I need the gold. Let me get the gold. I was more into gold then. She said, keep it, keep it. You're going to need it. The credit card's a secret between Marsha and Teddy. But their relationship? That's public knowledge. And Jean doesn't like it. Jean felt like Teddy was too much into me. And he felt like maybe I was filling his head with some stuff, which wasn't the case. You know, like I was, I think I was the only artist there that didn't have their car in Jean's name. You know, I was very independent and had my own way of thinking. So Gene calls the members of Abstract into his office and announces a new GR policy. Gene implemented a new rule that none of the artists could date one another. He just, that was the rule. You can't date each other. And if you do, you, you stood the risk of being fired. Gene says it's purely a business decision. He says they do the same thing at other labels. So, of course, when you can't see each other, you sneak and see each other. <laughs> so that's sort of like what happened. So we we had to, like, outsmart him. Because I didn't want to get in no trouble. You know, when you don't look to get in trouble by your godfather, who's your manager and person that you confide in, you just kind of keep things quiet, you know? So maybe, you know, we had certain codes uh, for a pager, you know, to, to call one another. And I had a fictitious name that I would use. <laughs> I was really good at it, too, I was because I was a quiet kid. You know, I wasn't outspoken. I wasn't like, yo, you know, I wasn't really that type of kid. I was really a quiet kid. So mostly the, the quiet people are the sneakiest people, you know? Whatever you may call it, it's love without a doubt. Kind of sounds like fun, don't it? Being young and in love, sneaking around. But sometimes it could get downright stressful. In early 1989, Marsha's back at Hillside Studios in Jersey, this time to record Abstract's debut album. At the recording console is Teddy's go-to engineer, Day Bennett. Teddy's there producing, and it's awkward. We had to always pretend like we didn't like each other. You know, it, it was it was it was hard, especially when she goes to record her vocals. And he was extra, 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 extra hard on me, as far as like I, I could never miss a note or be flat or be late or any of that. Yeah, I had to earn it. I it nothing was given to me. I definitely had to earn it. And she takes it personal. It was a rough time, and it's about to get rougher. Because soon, Marsha's going on tour with Guy. And that tour will change everything. Get ready for the third annual Budweiser Superfest. In the summer of 89, Guy's going to face off against its stiffest competition. A group that's been around for a while. But they've only recently got into the New Jack Sound. New edition. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? 
If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Budweiser Superfest was the summer tour every year. The Budweiser Superfest, back where we began our story. In 1989, when the biggest summer tour for black recording artists comes around, T.C. Tompkins remembers that the tour's organizer puts New Jack Swing center stage. New edition guy. Uh, let me see who else would be on it. He had every hot act back in the day would be on the Superfest. It was the ticket. They even had soul legend Miss Patti LaBelle on the tour, whose latest album, guess what, has a New Jack sound. And on a tour bus that feels more like a party on wheels, Guy is headed to the first stop. That's what Teddy and them would do all summer, would do the Superfest. They'd do three days each week on the Superfest. And uh, they're making 15 to 20 grand per performance, so, which was big money back in those days. And for the first time, Superfest features several hip-hop acts, including an up-and-coming rapper from Oakland named MC Hammer. You can't touch this. Damien's a big fan, especially of his famously huge crew of backup dancers. Him was the shit. He, I, to have somebody have 1,000 people dancing in unison on stage, and, and then he's right there in the forefront with that same energy and excitement and killing. I was like, this guy is a killer. I told you, homeboy. You can't touch this. According to another rapper on the lineup, Cool Moldy. Having hip-hop on the Budweiser Superfest is a big deal. The Budweiser Superfest was, for me, if not the, but is one of the most important aspects of, I hate even using the term, but it is what it is, for crossing us over. It just integrated hip-hop into quote-unquote mainstream music. There was a point in the late 80s where hip-hop is becoming popular, but there's still that divide between our... T- I mean, we talk about black or white. Older black people didn't like hip-hop, could relate to it, couldn't understand it. They were uh, some of the uh, early prognosticators of us fading out. It won't last more than three years, blah, 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 blah. Do something else, go get a job at the post office. So to be able to have Patti LaBelle on the same show as Kumo D is significant in terms of people being able to see it at that level, see that we're not just whatever you thought hip-hop was. Then there's Superfest's de facto headliners. New edition. After Bobby Brown left the group four years earlier, some people wrote them off. But in 1989... New additions bigger than ever, riding high on a monster hit new album called Heartbreak, 
on which they switched up their R&B boy band sound to, you guessed it, New Jack. In store, signing autographs at the mall. Next in line was a fly girl standing tall. Sign my name and said, give me a call, baby. You know. The tour starts on June 17th at RFK Stadium in D.C. That's the show I was supposed to go to. I say supposed to because after I picked out my outfit and made my plan and did my hair and my nails and everything did, my mom made me go to a family reunion instead. (laughs) But even though I wasn't there, the scene backstage on opening night of Superfest that year is wild. If they had social media back then, whew, man, we'd be in trouble. <laughs> Johnny Gill was already a successful solo artist before he joined New Edition to replace Bobby Brown. He's seen his share of groupies and superfans, but this is off the charts. It was crazy, man. I could speak for all of us. We were just enjoying our fame. I would be shipping one girl out to the airport and another one was coming in. And that was pretty much everybody's kind of MO. We was just enjoying the perks of being the hottest boy band and having fun. Oh, my God. That was so many groupies. That's what I remember more about anything because (laughs) there were girls everywhere. Marsha McClurkin's on the tour. Every night, she sings a duet with Aaron. In fact, guys got a whole entourage. They've got backup dancers, roadies, and security, including Teddy's old friend and protector from the neighborhood, Big Anthony B. He pretty much doubled as, like, Teddy's personal bodyguard. It was just whatever Teddy needed, he was there. So it's pretty much a nonstop party, except Marsha's not having as much fun as the boys, especially when Gene shows up. You know, Gene would come in and... You know, like, hey, I got I got this girl I want to introduce you to and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and I just have to pretend that I don't care. See, Gene's bringing groupies around to Teddy. And on the down low, Marsha and Teddy are still seeing each other. So you can imagine how this is all making Marsha feel. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. As the show gets underway, no one's more excited to get on stage than Damien. He wants to show the world what Guy can do and what he can do. I was mastering the stage, understanding the stage, and we mastered it together as a trio. We understood our individual positions within the group. The way I choreographed and put the show together, we were unorthodox. We were street, we were hip, we were funky, we were gully, and you could not fuck with our sound. But then next up, is New Edition. Damien's never seen them before, but he's heard the hype. New Edition was New Edition. Like, when you spoke New Edition, everybody, like, almost peed in their pants and were nervous wrecks. Like, you don't show a New Edition? Oh, they gonna kill y'all. They gonna kill y'all, dog. Like, them, them cats are insane. They so in sync and so tight. I was like, what? Now, watching from the wings, Damien sees what all the fuss is about.
when they came out and they had the lights that looked like it was like they coming out of clouds or something. And then they had the white mics, the white mic stands at the time. And they came out like boom, 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 boom. I was like, huh? Up on stage, New Edition's lead singer Johnny Gill is having the time of his life. Crowd was in a frenzy from the beginning to the end. Nobody sat down. It was nonstop of screaming. And you would just see this energy from an audience where you'd just be like, man. <laughs> I mean, these cats kill, man. New Edition was killing. I mean, from the beginning of the show all the way to the end of the show, they were stepping high and on point. Their hands was just so perfect. I was like, these little stepping cats, look at them. And they would always say to us during that time, like, yeah, yeah. Because it was it was fun competition, right? It was during that time, everybody competed. And they damn sure knew nobody was better than them. But, 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 I started learning. It's the beginning of a rivalry between two groups at the top of their game, Guy and New Edition. That is going to help push them to a whole nother level. But the bad blood is going to rise between Guy and New Edition until people get hurt. And the guys start running. And as they're running, they shoot one guy in the back. And it's like, that's it. I'm getting out of here. That's on the next episode of Jacked. From Wondery and Universal Music Group, this is episode four of six of Jacked. If you want to help us spread the word, please give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to binge ad-free. In the episode notes, you'll find some links and offers from our sponsors. Please support them. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey. Jacked is hosted and produced by me, Taraji P. Henson. Andy Herman and Rico Galliano wrote and produced this story. Consulting creative producer is Timmy Gatling. Associate producer is Melissa Duenez. Fact-checking by Sarah McClure. Consulting producer is Barry Michael Cooper. Managing producer is Lutha Pandya. Music supervision and sound design by Marcelino Villapando. Sound design and mixing by Jeff Schmidt. Executive produced by Barrick Moffitt and Daniel Seliger for UMG. Executive produced by George Lavender, Marsha Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wandering. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground, and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. 
In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Reyes Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.